This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Um, it wasn't until I was 20 that I decided to go with him. And my sole job was to rattle antlers. And so the first time I called in a buck, he asked if I wanted him to shoot it. I said yes. And I don't think either one of us really knew what that was going to spark. And I started writing about all these outdoor adventures. We started building tree stands. Um, I got my own gun. And I've been deer hunting, turkey hunting. It felt like in order for me to authentically write about it, I needed to know what it entailed. So I learned how to bait. I ran a bait site. I sat over the bait site. I didn't see any bear. Um, so I hired a guide and I went out with hounds. It was the most phenomenal hunt I've ever been on. And I got a bear. It was the largest bear taking in that zone that year. Um, in Maine, an average black bear will go about 160 or so. Uh, my bear was 457 pounds. And so watching, I, it was monstrous. And I shot him out of a tree. And I just remember him like letting go and he hit the ground and I walked over to him and he, like, instead of like ground shrinkage, he doubled in size. And so it was just this incredible experience and I got to write about it and talk about how delicious bear meat is um, and really helped to shed light on the fact that more people should be bear hunting. So that, you know, got the blog going. I started posting more on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and um, just trying to connect women, connect girls, connect people outside of Maine um, with what's happening here in terms of conservation and just, you know, the outdoors in general. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to this week's episode of Impact Outdoors podcast. And Man, we've got a really special guest on the show this week, and um, I reached out to Erin Merrill, way up in Maine, and uh, wanted to have her on the show and talk about kind of how she got started hunting um, and uh, all the great stuff she does. And um, but Erin, uh, you know, really started out, you know, going with her dad and uh, didn't really start hunting till later in life. But um, she's really found her strong suit in the conservation world kind of with her second career i guess you could say um she's currently a senior writer for the jury outdoors deer cast and she's also writing a monthly column in the northwood sporting journal called women in the woods and um, one of the coolest things i found out about aaron was um a project she started several years back with some other women up in Maine, and uh, she's now the president and one of the co-founders of Women of the Maine Outdoors, which is a great organization that provides opportunities for getting more women and girls outside and and uh, you know more comfortable with hunting, fishing, and outdoor stuff. And uh, they do a lot to raise money to be able to provide scholarships for these um, women to get the outdoor education classes that they need, whether that's you know 
hunting guiding classes or just you know firearm safety classes first aid classes all that kind of good stuff and um but she really loves talking turkeys and uh that really got me excited and um found out that we had a pretty cool connection down here with some birds that were just stocked down here in texas that actually came from basically her backyard so can't wait for y'all to hear that story and um but uh, it's a great conversation and um and once again, I want to remind everybody that we are now part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. And uh, if you haven't checked out Waypoint, you know, make sure you get on over to waypointtv.com. Check that out. Get signed up for the collective. There's so many great podcasts on there. We're so humbled to be on there with so many great um, podcasters from across the country and stuff. And uh, really looking forward to exciting things coming ahead with that. But um, but with that being said, you know, let's go ahead and jump into this week's conversation with Aaron Merrill. All right, well, welcome back to the show. We've got Aaron Merrill from up in Maine with us today here on Impact Outdoors podcast. Welcome, Aaron. How are you doing? I'm well. Thanks so much for having me. Good to see you. Um, I had kind of, I follow, I'm friends with Robbie Kroger who does a blood organ thing. And I know you're always posting about that and, and how people should support it and stuff. And it's awesome. Mm-hmm. And so I started following your um, deal on Instagram and wow. then uh, and just thought, well, I said, we need to get her on the show. So especially, and we'll get into this more in depth, but um, we've kind of got a turkey connection now down here in Texas with where you're at up in Maine. Mm-hmm, we do. So, well, why don't you um, um, tell us a little about what, you know, where you're at up there and how you got in the outdoors and stuff and kind of what you're doing today in the outdoor world as far as riding and, and stuff like that. So, sure. Um, so I did not grow up hunting. My dad did. And so um, it was not uncommon to come home in November, open up the fridge and see a deer heart you know, floating in water in the fridge. It just meant that dad had shot a deer. Um, it wasn't until I was 20 that I decided to go with him. And my sole job was to rattle antlers. And so the first time I called in a buck, he asked if I wanted him to shoot it. I said, yes. And I don't think either one of us really knew what that was going to spark. And I started writing about all these outdoor adventures. We started building tree stands. Um, I got my own gun and I've been deer hunting, turkey hunting. In 2014, Maine faced off against the Humane Society on our second bear referendum because we're one Mm -hmm. of the few states that allow you to bait, trap, um, hunt with hounds or still hunt for bear. And we had a referendum and I felt like in order for me to authentically write about it, I needed to know what it entailed. So I learned how to bait. I ran a bait site. I sat over the bait site. I didn't see any bear. Um, So I hired a guide and I went out with hounds. It was the most phenomenal hunt I've ever been on. And I got a bear. It was the largest bear taking in that zone that year. Um, in Maine, an average black bear will go about 160 or so. Uh, my bear was 457 pounds. And so watching, it was monstrous and I shot him out of a tree and I just remember him like letting go and he hit the ground and I walked over to him and he, instead of like ground shrinkage, he doubled in size. And so it was just this incredible experience. And I got to write about it and talk about how delicious bear meat is um, and really help to shed light on the fact that more people should be bear hunting. Um, So that, you know, got the blog going. I started posting more on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and um, just trying to connect women, connect girls, Mm -hmm. connect people outside of Maine um, with what's happening here in terms of conservation and just you know, the outdoors in general. Um, So yeah, so I was writing for a local newspaper. I have my blog, which is called And a Strong Cup of Coffee. And then I started um, writing for just different places here and there. I got connected with Drury Outdoors. And so now I am one of the senior writers for DeerCast, um, which is an incredible app. You know, obviously I'm, I'm partial to it, but 
um, it's really cool to have conversations with people all across the country about um, turkey hunting or deer hunting and tips and tricks and um, how do you get your kids involved. So it's, it's been a really great community um, to be a part of. Yeah, that's awesome. So, so what age were you when you started hunting with your dad or when you started going out? 20. Really? Yeah, I was a late bloomer, I guess, coming into the to the hunting world as well. I was probably yeah. about 22 or 23 when I first started hunting. So, yep. um, but I mean, you were around that all growing up, I assume, you know, and, and uh, um, I guess what, you know, what did your friends think about when you started doing that? Were they giving you grief about it or what? Not really. Um, I feel like deer hunting is so socially acceptable, at least up here. Um, that it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, you know, it was just, it was something that I started doing. And so suddenly it started to be um, tied in with me. And so people who yeah. are non-hunters will ask me questions about hunting or mm -hmm. um, I'm suddenly like the go-to resource. If somebody finds, you know, I have friends that are vegan and they'll find some sort of article about hunting and they'll send it to me. So yeah. I think it's, it's been able to like break down a few of those barriers because they know that I'm not going to you know, I'm not going to take a bad shot. I'm not going to poach. Mm. I'm not going to do all these things. And suddenly the idea of what a hunter I think used to be is, has changed in their mind. Um, and suddenly, you know, it's a young mom that that's raising kids and providing meat to her family. Yeah. So I, I think it's, it's sort of helped to, to flip their perspective about what hunting really is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's uh it's always been an ongoing topic you know it's just a lot of people i mean that's what robbie does with his with his deal right. with blood origins and stuff and um um you know i i i think my perspective from it when i was growing up i fished all the time so my logic was you know i'm working as much as i can growing up through high school and just making money to go fishing on the weekends and stuff yeah. like i don't have time to go hunting all my buddies hunted and stuff when i grew up in oklahoma and um I would take them, we had some family property and I would take people down there and I would go fishing and they would go hunting, mm -hmm. you know, and I remember, um, you know, sitting out on the, one of the ponds in my boat one night and watch two bucks come out and spar in this field for like 10, 15 minutes. And they all came back and they were like, I was like, well, what did y'all see? And he's like, man, we didn't see anything or nobody got anything that night. I thought, well, you won't believe what I see. You know, and, and I went right up to the shoreline close to him, you know, in the water and was watching him just mesmerized by that. And, and, uh, anyway, a couple of years later, I ended up moving to Texas. And then if you come to Texas, basically everybody hunts for the most mm -hmm. part. So, so I got sucked in and now, oh man. And then when I found out about turkey hunting, that, uh, that's my yeah. favorite thing. Biggest passion by far is, is turkey hunting down here. So, <laughs> but, um, so, um, how did you get involved with Drury? I mean, really, with, with Drury Outdoors? That's a that's a pretty pretty big deal getting to work with them. You know, right. they're very. Um, and I'll bring up a real real quick story. Maybe you can uh, add on to this. But one of the guys I just had on the podcast uh, last week, uh, Bill Crowell, he makes turkey calls down here. And he mm -hmm. grew up in Missouri, and his family was uh, his sister and and, and her husband um, actually worked for the Drury's up there. For Mark and Terry, I think one awesome. of the construction company or something like that. Yeah. And um, Bill was actually a waterfowl guide. They would always go out, Bill, to hunt birds, and they kept trying to get him to go turkey hunting. And long story short, Terry ended up doing the first turkey hunt with Bill awesome. back in the day, and got and finally got a bird and stuff. And uh, he was so excited talking about that. And I was like, well, I'm gonna have you on the show this week. And I was like, there's you know another connection there with Drury. So yeah. um, pretty pretty crazy. But that's got to be cool getting to work with them. It's a little surreal when like you have the power to pick up your phone and text them and you know that they will text you back. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so like it's, it's a little bit of a fangirl issue going on, you know, when you're yeah. talking to them on the phone and um, you know, sometimes like one of Taylor's hunts, she called me as soon as she was done and I typed it up and we got it posted and um, you know, I've interviewed Mark and so it's talked to Matt and it's just, it's this really, it's amazing when I think about like, here I am in central Maine connected to Drury, which everybody yeah. knows. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I think it also speaks to how authentic they want to be to ensure that there are hunting voices across the country that are being represented and not just, um, you know, the four juries that you see on TV. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the name recognition is huge. Just being able to get your stories out there and stuff. And, and then, but I mean, um, so, so you do that with Drury and mm-hmm. I know you're involved with a bunch of other stuff. Um, so to tell, I want to bring up um, first, how much do you really like coffee? Cause it's all over your, your it stuff. Is. It <laughs> is. I started, I started drinking it when I was 18 and it's just, it's, you know, I figure when you have to get up at like 3 a.m. to go on a turkey hunt yeah. is it, or even deer hunting, you know, right. I talk, it's cold. The coldest I've ever deer hunted was four degrees. So what's better than having some strong coffee with there you when go. you're out there hunting? There you um, go. So yes, I have, and I have an addiction a bad addiction to it but there are worse things to be addicted to than coffee yeah um my wife loves coffee i don't drink coffee i drink dr pepper down here so i don't know it's a southern thing but but um but women of of the outdoors up in maine tell us about that because i know that's a huge part of i mean you're a big part of that yes so i my friends and i started women of the maine outdoors and what we wanted to do was offer scholarships to women and girls that wanted to advance their outdoor education, but sometimes classes are really expensive. So Mm -hmm. women who want to go to become a main guide, ideally they would take a guide course ahead of time. And it's usually like a three-day intensive and those can cost upwards of $500. So we offer to pay at least half, usually a little bit more than half of those courses. They there's an application process and then the board vets them. But we've sent women to become guides. We sent girls to hike the Appalachian Trail. We've sent um, women to casting for recovery courses mm-hmm. uh, that focus on breast cancer and getting women outdoors as they're going through um, chemo radiation rehab. So anything that has a cost to it that is an outdoor education class, women can um, apply and we will consider it and then we can give them scholarships to help go towards those classes. Um, so we do, I mean, I think eight years old is our cutoff. So girls that are in Girl Scout camp or girls that are going to go um, to an outdoor education class, we have a few different like Bryant Pond up here um, mm-hmm. does some education class conservation um, week-long courses. And so we want to, we want to alleviate any sort of hindrance that's going to prevent more women and girls right. from getting in the outdoors. Yeah, that's awesome. How long has that been around now? Oh, eight or nine years. Yeah. I've been doing it for a while, yeah. That's cool. That's really good. You know, and sometimes that's all it takes is just, you know, somebody will see a barrier preventing them from yeah. doing something like that. I mean, whether it's money or, or, you know, scheduling or whatever, and just anything, anything that we can do to help that, you know, mm-hmm. just provide opportunities is, is so key to so many people. And, um, we, we do, me and my wife do a big youth program down here with the Texas Brigades. And uh, um, that's one thing I always tell the parents. I was like, don't worry about the financial part of it. You know, it's not, it's not that much, but don't worry about it. You know, I mean, you can do what you can, but we'll make sure that if your kid gets selected to go to this camp, because we want to provide that opportunity for all of them yeah. that apply. And, and um, not everything's like that. So, you know, as far as people wanting to help out in that way, but but um, if you can do it, that's a good thing. So, right. and, and, you know, with hunting numbers, the past year has been the outlier because we've seen such massive growth. But yep. prior to that, you know, hunting numbers were dropping drastically. Mm-hmm. So anything we can do to help you know, get some of those people recruited into the hunting programs, you know, are going to help us out in the long run. Yeah, for sure. So um, Let's see what one of the other things I was going to ask. Um, so you also do you still write for the Northwoods Sporting Journal or somewhere? Yeah, yeah, I write a monthly column for the Northwoods Sporting Journal. Um, that's that's been going on for uh, eight or nine years as well, I think. Yeah, and so I just you know, it's I try to write about things that are going to be an interest to more than just a few people here in Maine. Um, and I'm also really aware of like when it is turkey season, I might not necessarily want to write one more article about turkey. <laughs> so I try to mix it up a little bit um, and think of think of things out of the box um, that people might not necessarily be thinking of when it comes to the outdoors. Yeah. So And sometimes it's simple like, hey, check out the Onyx app because here are all the mm-hmm. different things that you can do on that app. Um, you know, it's 
going out and looking for mushrooms. It's looking for chaga. It's looking for, you know, how do you trap? How do you, why do you want to trap? Why do you want to coyote hunt? You know, so it's all these different things that I try to offer up my perspective on. Yeah. So with me being down here in Texas, like literally all the way on the other end of the country from where you're at, um, what are some of the things that um, are unique to where you're at as far as like hunting? I mean, you know, you spoke of bears, but we have a few black bears down here for sure. Um, but not really a huntable population in Texas by yeah. any means. But um, People are always shocked when I talk about um, deer as far as how many deer we take in a season versus how many other states will take. Um, so a good year for us is like 35, 38,000 deer. And I know places in like the Midwest will take that many in a weekend. Yeah. So it's, you know, and our season stretches that we have um, archery in September and October, rifle starts the last Saturday of October and then ends right after Thanksgiving. And then we have two weeks of muzzle loading. Um, so, and it's one deer. So you can get drawn for a doe tag. Anybody with a hunting license can shoot a buck. So you have to get drawn in a certain zone. Then you have that doe tag in that zone. Um, if you are gonna be archery hunting, you can go into some more populated areas and get um, like a bonus tag to be able to take out doe um, in that area. But you know, it's a pretty regular, we have a small-ish population when you think about all the other states. Right. Yeah, yeah. so people are always shocked when they, you know, we, we love it, and there's a bunch of hunters out there. There's, I think, over 100,000 of us, but. Nice. Yeah. Y'all, um, or do you know, like, um, out-of-state out of hunters, like, what those numbers are, if those have went up any recently? I mean, I hear more and more people going and hunting up in the Northeast, mm -hmm. you know, just I am not sure what the out-of-state numbers look like. I know, I know it didn't slow anyone down last year. Yeah, last year was nuts. You know, we still had a ton of people coming up, um, yeah. and we, we we shot a lot of deer. I think yeah. one of the it's hard to hunt up here because you have to get down and walk. Really, I mean, I'm a stand hunter, so I can't. I'm just I'm not going to do that. But if you just sit down and I love it. I'm off topic, but Steve Ranella, I believe, came up mm -hmm. to me to hunt. And it was, he just, he didn't see any deer because that's what happens. You can go, you can go and think that you're in this great spot of land and see all kinds of sign and you won't see a deer in a week. So, yeah. so you have to really, you know, sort of up your game a little bit and figure out where you're going to be, what your scent's going to be. You know, I have trail cameras out year round. Um, who else is in the woods because 96 percent of maine is privately owned so there's a, not a whole lot of of open land for people to hunt on if you don't already own something or have permission or a lease um, so it's, it's kind of tricky you gotta you gotta be thinking about it you know this time of year or even earlier um, to think yeah. about november yeah yeah and i guess texas is kind of similar in that fashion um when you're talking about privately owned lands i mean it's mostly private land here i mean we have some national forests and some mm -hmm. public lands offered through the state wildlife department and stuff but um it's mostly private you know and most everybody down here is hunting deer leases and, yeah. and things like that so um and it gets expensive you know and uh uh, we've been pretty lucky where we're hunting at you know it's an old family farm and uh, mm -hmm. they've been there for a long time and some of these ranches I mean you can spend as much money as you want to spend to be able to go hunt you know and they right. can be so restrictive too you know we're um, some of them are like you have year-round access you know yeah. so you can hunt turkey and archery and, and rifle season um, and some are just you know as, as restrictive as just two weeks during deer season or something like that so. My dad, my dad cuts wood for a living. And so he's been buying land for, since I've been alive. Um, and I'm very, very grateful because we have over a thousand acres nice. that we can hunt and we don't have to worry about, you know, it's all, we post it so that we're very mm -hmm. cognizant of who's on the land and when. Um, but thank goodness, because we have a bill, or at least we have three bills in the legislature right now, because we are one of the few states that do not allow you to hunt on Sundays. Um, and so it's, it, it's kind of controversial 
because there yeah. is so many right now we don't hunt Sundays you can hunt on any piece of land that is not posted so if I don't have any posted signs out if I don't have any of those you know orange or purple OSHA markings you can hunt my land if these bills go through it's going to be reverse posting so you it's off limits unless you have written permission from the landowner which a lot of landowners might not give permission to people who want to go hunt. So you would get the extra day to hunt on Sundays, but you might not, you might find yourself suddenly not having any land to go. Right. Hunt on. Um, so it's really, you know, what, what's worse to get that extra day, but lose land or to only have six days that you can hunt and still have all the access. Yeah. So it's, it's going in front of the legislature um, on Wednesday. They're going to start to, Hmm. that's got to bring its own set of issues up with the way it currently is now i assume with private landowners you know yeah. going out and just finding people on their on their land hunting. right and, and you know right now landowners are pretty good because they understand that people more often than not are hunting to try to fill their freezer so they're okay with it knowing that they have that one day a week where they mm -hmm. can go out in the woods and not worry about hunters um, if that changes, they might lock down their land because they still want to ensure that day for them to go out into the woods. But it's easier to say no, hmm. all of it, than say, yeah. well, you can only be here on these days. Yeah. So it, it's, it'll be, I, I'm all for not hunting on Sundays. <laughs> um, I didn't even know that was a, a, an issue okay. up that part of the country. So, I, I mean, I've never hunted up there, but... Yeah. Um, it's an old blue law and yeah. just, you know guides have a lot of land already leased so they won't really be impacted by it too too badly mm -hmm. um but it's going to be all the everyday you know joshmoa hunters that are going to go out and suddenly they're not going to have the land available yeah that's a that's interesting for sure yeah. so yeah that'll be I'm interesting also, to stay on I'm top of that planning, like that. i want to take your like just take your vacation days in November. Yeah. You know, that's what I do. Yeah. Like, I don't take a vacation in the summer. I work in air conditioning. Life is good. And then I'll take my vacation in November. Oh, wow. Well. Man, that's a, yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting story. So definitely I'll keep track of that. And I'm sure you'll be putting out some articles when they figure out what they're doing in the legislature. Oh, yeah. So, hmm. Man. Well, um, has the we'll go back to the the black bears up there has, has y'all's population was it in low numbers you know, oh, no. back in the day or has it been really high, good numbers for the most part it, it's it ta it's taking off um, we can't kill enough bear we need to kill about five thousand a year in order to just steady the population um, and we're taking about thirty five hundred so it's really interesting because on those years, like last year was a drought. So the mm -hmm. berries were not nearly as good. So we've had a lot of people killing bear right off the bat. If we get more rain, if all of the berries, it's a great fall and there's lots of peach nuts, um, we won't be able to kill a bear to save our lives. So it's yeah. really dependent on the natural food that they have. Um, and that's why we have all the methods that we do because mm -hmm. we need to be able to have all of these different tools in order to take as many bears as we can to keep the population in check. Um, right now we have between 36 and 38,000 bear. And, if, and when they're three years old, a sow can have anywhere from one to four cubs. So you know, two years later, any of those are gonna sprawl out and keep going and keep going and keep going. Mm -hmm. um, Randy Cross, who is our former bear biologist, had an incredible like family tree in his office. And it started with the first bear that he worked on. Her name was Sarah. And it was like a poster board size because he was actually tracking her whole family tree across you know, the state where he knew her cubs were. Um, once they got collared, he could track up. You know, it was just, it was phenomenal to see. Mm -hmm. um, I've gone with the bear biologists to track, to, to go into dens in January, February, March. Um, and collar the cubs, as well as trap bear um, in like May, June, as they're coming out of their dens and looking for more food, then if they've missed any of those two, three, four-year-olds and collared them, they'll do it then. 
So it's amazing to watch them work and just see see how well and how impressive they work as a unit. Yeah. Uh, but then just to be able to like snuggle up on a bear. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. How, Who doesn't want to do that? Yeah. Right. How cool, how, <laughs> how big or how little, you know, the little cubs are basically like puppies and they just want to snuggle up with you and stay warm. So you're in the backwoods mm -hmm. of Maine, you know, miles and miles and miles away from civilization, snuggling bear cubs. Yes, please. That's gotta be cool. So awesome. yeah, I know, um, back up in Oklahoma, I guess it's, it's been 10, 15 years now, but they, the numbers got high enough um, coming out of like the Ozarks and stuff mm -hmm. and then down in Southeast Oklahoma, but they, they opened a season and I know like the first season, I think, and, and don't quote me on this, but I think it was like a 10, 10 bear limit for that. And yeah. You had to call in like soon as you harvested one and man, yeah. they raced it by like four hours or something. Oh yeah. Like that the first well, day. Missouri, I think Missouri is going to have a bear hunt this year. Yeah. I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so be, but, you know, they're expanding. Their meat is delicious. So I highly recommend anyone who can go hunt a bear to go do it. Yeah, I've never, I've never had black bear, but I've got a friend that lives up in Nebraska. And he hunts them usually mm -hmm. about every year. They usually go up to like I think Minnesota or something like that. And yeah. he's, I mean, it's good, you know. Then one of my dad's brothers, he lived up in Alaska. Um, and uh, if he's listening to this, he'll probably start laughing when I'm talking about him. But um, he was a, a grizzly guide up there, Yeah. you know. But, you know, that totally different bear meat. Mm -hmm. you know i mean they they don't harvest the meat they that it right. all stays with the the people there but um um yeah i think that some people are like why would you want to eat a bear but because they're so good everything i've heard about black bear it's delicious like you said so so delicious so good um, yeah. yeah i went to alaska for my best friend's wedding and i went fishing with all the guys while the girls went and put all the flowers together <laughs> and uh, we were in we were in the river and somebody yelled bear and I got so excited thinking it's gonna be a brown bear it's gonna be a grizzly bear like I can't wait and it was a black bear and I was like no I have these at home I don't want to see a black bear right. like, come yeah. on so I yeah. didn't get to see anything besides the black bear and I was really disappointed yeah I think we've seen some we went up there when I was real little I was probably like five years old I remember mm -hmm. fishing and getting seasick and and all that fun stuff but uh I do remember um, going camping, and I know we heard bears while we were there, yeah. which is kind of unnerving. But, but I was young, so I didn't know any better, I guess, probably. But, but uh, man, I really want to get back to Alaska, mm -hmm. you know, now where I can appreciate it more. So, right. one day it'll happen. So we'll get back up there. But, yeah. But yeah. So, so see, I've got the black. When's the season, the hunting season for black bears in Maine? Um, baiting season starts in July. Hunting starts in August, and then it's baiting for a couple of weeks, and then that continues, but hound season starts and runs, but then everything shuts down. You can trap, and then come like deer season, you can still hunt them. So if you're out deer hunting and you happen to see one that hasn't gone to its den yet, you can be perfectly um, allowed to shoot it. Hmm. But for the most part, it's August through like October. Yeah end of October. Well, that works good for, for you. I mean, yeah. I mean, turkey season and I mean, obviously y'all have pretty cold winters and lots of precipitation, I'm sure. But yeah. um, once it warms up, seems like you can, you've got something to do all year. Right. I mean, turkey season starts for us May 3rd and it runs for about a month. Then you can fish and then you can start bear hunting. And then yeah. you can, if you get drawn for a moose permit, which is they're few and far between, but that's September, October and then deer hunting, and then you can start trapping, and then that'll take you back to the beginning of the year. Yeah. So do y'all have a, um, any bears on the property that y'all own that y'all seen, or is it mostly we have deer? Seen, we have seen bear on trail cameras. Mm -hmm. We haven't actually seen one in person. Um, the land that we own is about 45 minutes from where I live, and in my back lawn, I have seen every animal except for a bear. So I've had a moose, I've had a bobcat, all kinds of deer, turkey, and I just like there's a stream. Like I just keep waiting to catch a yeah. bunch of bear, but yeah. that won't happen, I'm sure. <laughs> Never know. <laughs> Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th. 
Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. So we've had, we've had the, we're always talking about um, the great white sharks down here in the Gulf of Mexico, you know, with O-Search and some of the work they're doing and how they're starting to come over to the Mississippi. But the last few years, they've always turned because there's a big um, alternating currents there at the outflow of the Mississippi River. And so they yeah. tend to turn and go back to Florida. Um, but this year we had one that they tagged over in the Atlantic come all the way to Texas. And it sat over here for, I don't know, it was several weeks, um, about 100 miles out from Galveston, you know, right. with a, you know off the continental shelf and stuff. And then, um, while it was out there, you may have even seen this on the news up there, but um, I have a friend of mine who drives one of the big offshore party boats, and they were out there mm-hmm. tuna fishing, and they came back in and spotted a giant pod of orcas. And it was in basically the exact same area that the shark kept pinging. So I don't know what was going on out there, but it was drawing in a lot. I mean, most people see killer whales. They're like, there's no killer whales in the Gulf of Mexico, but right. there are. And there is a resident population here, but that's the wow. first video I've seen. And he said there was, I think he said there was over a hundred that oh, he's seen wow. in that group. So, I mean, they stayed with them for a long time, right. tons of footage of them and it was insane. Um, but it was pretty cool that the, the great white shark, you know, and it probably wasn't the only one, right. just one that they had tagged, you know? Um, so it's crazy today, you know, now we have access to all this, technology and then how mm-hmm. much more we're learning you know stuff that we've been studying or you know people have been studying for yeah you know the past hundred years and, and look right. at what we're able to see now you know in just a matter i can put a tag on a shark and immediately start getting data from it mm-hmm. the minute it goes back in the water so in the same way with what they're doing with the bears and stuff up there i'm sure yeah and the deer i went with yeah. the biologists two winters ago and i watched them collar deer and it took them, it was incredible. I have, I took a video of it. It took them less than four and a half minutes to get into the cage with the deer, put the collar on the deer mm-hmm. and the deer was released. Um, and then they do the same thing. They watch to see where they're going and um, how far, you know, so you might have a doe that's traveling 75 miles from her winter grounds to her summer grounds. Um, and it's just, it's fascinating to see where they're going, yeah. when they are, where they are. Um, and then they try to, you know, get back out and grab that collar if, it, if it's not moving so that they can figure out if it's a predator kill or if it's a road kill or just old age um, so that they're able to capture that data too. So it's yeah. pretty incredible what the biologists are doing. Yeah, it's crazy. I know um, from my day job with the state, mm-hmm. we tagged a, a bull shark one year um, with the tag and I think it was probably two weeks later it was going up the mississippi river you know i mean that's several hundred miles away right. you know and it was already like 80 miles up the river you know up past venice and all all that up in past new orleans i think and the, um that was just kind of blew my mind you know it was like yeah. we just caught that shark you know right. and the um but, it's amazing how much we really don't know yeah yeah we really don't know anything on a lot of these things so i think one of the one of the fish down here that that's always a hot topic that we don't know a lot about is flounder, you know, mm-hmm. and um, just because it's so hard to, to track them. And there's all these studies coming up now where they're putting, trying to put acoustic tags in them so they can kind of monitor when they're moving around the bays and stuff. Right. And I'm sure they're doing that on fish up there off the coast and, and things, but um, it's cool because we're starting to see, starting to see, you know, what their pattern is and how far because. Yeah. Um, I mean, we don't know. We don't know where they're really spawning. We assume that they're spawning offshore, you know, up to 100 miles out from, from fish that have been caught out there. But yeah, um, don't really know. And it's hard to manage a species without that data. Right. So, but, well, let's talk turkeys. Yeah. So you're getting ready to open. Ours has been open since like middle of March and I have yet to go turkey hunting, but I'm, I'm going to be, uh, finally getting to get in the woods this week here in a couple of days so i'm excited awesome. about that but so y'all are i'm assuming all eastern turkeys up there yeah yep. yep yep and we we had a population it got wiped out for whatever reason and then they reintroduced them and i don't think they realized 
how well it was going to go because now we have turkeys in every corner of the state and depending on who you talk to they are they don't like the turkeys you know and they they assume that with the turkeys have come the ticks and and coyotes and so you have a lot of um of folks that just think you know blame the turkeys for all these other issues that we're having we have a lot of turkeys. Like I sat in my stand last fall and counted 40 walking through my shooting lanes as I was waiting nice. for a deer to come by. Yeah, that's crazy. So uh, I've never shot an Eastern. I've tried the last like four or five years, but haven't got one yet. So well, they're coming your way. Yeah. Keep sending them. <laughs> and literally they're coming our way. Literally we're sending them down. <laughs> Um, oh. Yeah, it was really cool. I saw a video on my friend Brian's Instagram page about the turkeys being released, and I was like, "Hey, those are those are from those are from my area." And so I contacted um, Sean Roberts and talked to him for a little bit about what they were doing with the National Turkey Federation. I talked to Kelsey Sullivan, who is Maine's turkey biologist, and basically we're sending 150 turkeys to Eastern Texas try to get a population up and running um, yep. so it's 50 just about 50 a year for this year next year and the following year mm -hmm. um, and all the money will go into a, a pot for conservation and then if we need it here in Maine we can pull from it uh, and be able to continue some of those conservation efforts yeah that's so that's so crazy because I've seen that and then I think I reached out to you a couple weeks later after that happened maybe but um you know texas is the same thing um deforestation back mm -hmm. in the day um loss of habitat or unsuitable habitat for turkeys and, and you and i both know habitat is the one factor that that'll um you know tell you if you're gonna have turkeys or not if they're gonna stay there it's very important um but uh you know, we've been bringing in turkeys for a while from other states and that's the first i'd heard from any coming from up there and i guess it was the first time yeah so that was really cool getting it was, it was interesting kelsey said that um it's a 48 hour process really they capture them they mm -hmm. take blood samples they send the blood samples to texas so that they can get screened while they're sending the birds down but you need to have all of the data before you can accept the birds mm-hmm that you know you make sure that everything's all good there's no diseases there's no issues mm -hmm. um, and then as long as the blood's good you can release those release those birds yeah yeah and, and they put i think they put um i know some of them with some of the biologists that we've worked with, with before you know they're putting um, radio collars on some of the birds yeah. and the hens and the toms and and um that way they can track i mean they're all tagged obviously but right. But, um, you know, they're doing some extra stuff on some of these birds to see where they're going. Yeah. And I think it was probably, had it been about two, three years ago, um, there's a wildlife management area called Gus Engling, up not too far from where these birds went. Mm -hmm. And um, I know the biologists up there real well, and they were, you know, tagging all the birds. And then a hunter um, shot a turkey on the west side of I-35, which is pretty good ways from where they were stocked yeah. and not in their habitat <laughs> huh. and and it was like 90 something miles away that bird had traveled on the other side of a freeway a major right. interstate and uh, that just blew everybody's mind that that bird had traveled that far mm -hmm. and um, I'm, I'm pretty sure they got all the tags and everything back you know to verify all that but um, right. that just goes to show you how much you know those things will move oh yeah so no, I'm excited. So Kelsey said I get to go out with him or with them next fall or next February. Yeah. As they're as they're catching them and netting them. So that'll be that'll, that'll be, be cool. interesting. Well, we'll have to. Well, you know, we were talking before. We'll have to figure out. Um, we'll do like a a live stream or something. Maybe right. when you're catching them and then we'll, when they're releasing them down here, I'll make sure I can get up to that one. So right, that'd be um, awesome. Yeah, that would be cool. So and it's working. I mean, um, you know the i know you just wrote a an article about about this and i was reading that earlier and uh you know they were talking about the the co-op units and how it's very landowner driven um, and having to have the support of that so the president of the nwtf chapter i'm part of here in, in houston 
Terrence Jackson, he, he put a co-op together because he's got land up there and he wants turkeys on it for his kids to be able to hunt hopefully in the future. And so he's been working the past two years plus um, trying to get landowners to get enough, enough acreage right. and then um, trying to get them to, to burn, you know, a lot of the yep. under, understory and stuff, which is key for that. And, and um, I think they're going to be reassessed this year. Um, so hopefully next year, maybe some of those birds will go to where he's at. Right, right. So, awesome. But, no, um, I was joking with Kelsey because they're taking them from the zone that I have property in. <laughs> and so I sort of got excited because I was like, oh, maybe those 40 turkey that I saw in the fall are not going to be there. And then yeah. I, start, I started getting photos on my cameras of just like one single hen. I'm like, oh, no, maybe they really did get those turkeys. <laughs> But no, I, I have more photos of them all, all coming through now. But oh, nice. We have so many. So yeah. many. And well, maybe I can get up there and go hunting sometime. So we, we can shoot two, Tom, in the fall, and then you can shoot five or two in the spring, five in the fall. So if you're like really dedicated and going to spend a lot of time in the woods, you can shoot seven in a year. Dang, that's a lot. Yeah. Our back limit here in Texas is four. Yeah. And you could shoot one Eastern out of that, you know, but um, yeah, that's crazy. So you must have a lot of them if you can take that many birds. So I, I shot one a few years ago. Um, I got home from work, walked in, grabbed my shotgun and shot it out on the back lawn. <laughs> <laughs> there are no turkeys running around where I'm at. So right now, <laughs> right. I got to drive oh, a few everywhere. miles, but everywhere. Yeah. I saw Tom at the top of my driveway last week, two weeks ago. Um, and so I grabbed my box call and I went out on the back porch. My poor dog was losing his mind and I was on the back porch doing my call and I could, I got him to gobble once. And then I watched him walk into the woods. I turned around and there was a hen and a Tom strutting on the lawn. There was a couple angry hens mad at me. It was like the whole woods just exploded and yeah. everybody was calling and yelling at me and it was amazing, but we still have a month to go until the season. And that's what. To me, that's what um, is so exciting about turkey hunting. I think what it's a good, it's a good entrance for people to get into hunting. Yeah. I mean, me and I had Cus Strickland on. Um, he was on the last episode, and uh, you know, we talked about that. You know, and why, why is it easier for somebody to hunt a turkey and not a deer mm -hmm. starting out? You know, and he said a lot of it's about you know what he's listened and heard from people is just you know they can see themselves cleaning a turkey but not cleaning a deer, you know, it's just it's a bigger animal, right. you know, there's a lot more stuff involved and that kind of thing. And I can, I can see how that could be intimidating to people. You know, everybody eats turkey at Thanksgiving for the most right. part. So um, it's not it's, that it's, big. Your turkeys are probably bigger than ours, but. but right. Uh, but, but I mean, part of it's also like turkeys are ugly. When it, you get up close, they are. <laughs> they're ugly and they're beautiful at the same time, if that's possible. Right. But, right. You don't have like the Disney factor. Of yeah. like there's Bambi's dad and all of his glory. Right. Why would you ever want to shoot it? Um, you know, turkeys don't have that. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's no like ha ah, moment yeah. for, for people. They're like, those are ugly and I want to shoot them in the face. Yeah, I don't know. There's a, I seen a there's a video that always pops up every year about on Facebook or something like that where they got a oh, turkey zoomed in on his face and he's talking, he's like, Why would anybody make me look like this so i'll see if i can find that and send it to you it's funny okay. um but uh but yeah i mean it, my biggest thing with turkey hunting what really um is just the interaction with the animal you right. know i mean there's interaction with deer you know especially if you're rattling like what you start out with and grunting and stuff but not like turkeys no no i mean it's even more so than to me than what i would think duck hunting is almost you know there's just more you can get them so close to you yeah. and being able to really I mean, communicate with them. Right. You know, and get right. them talking back and forth. So that's what got my wife hooked on it. I mean, she, she went with me finally, um, several, you know, several years back and never really hunted before, but she shot guns and stuff, but she went with me. We had a really cool interaction with the bird, got him in, took us like an hour and a half to get him in, but we got him and he come in within like 10, 15 feet of us did his whole dance and everything and, right. and then we took the bird and then she was like you know I think I could maybe shoot a turkey so she went and got Hunter Ed and, and okay. the next year she got her bird 
So excellent. And I'm really hoping that um, I just got my daughter a little 410. So I'm hoping she's she just turned seven, but she loves going turkey hunting with me. And so hopefully here in a couple of weeks, we'll be going up and uh, see if she wants to try to get her first turkey. So right. if not this year, I bet it'll be next year, but mm-hmm. we'll see. We'll see. Hopefully dad can call one in for her when it comes time. So, but yeah, she's, she's incredible, man. She will sit, she will sit out there with me. She's went the last two years. She'll sit out all day. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll just pack a lunch and, you know, and, uh, and stay out. So yeah. um, my boy, he's a little bit more spazzed out, I guess, right now at his age, he's like four, but he still, he still likes going, but he, you know, we got to keep, keep it moving and keep things in there. Mm-hmm. So she's very patient. So can't wait to see what she does she's determined yes she's very determined so can't wait to see her get her first animal so that's awesome i started sitting out two years ago three years ago i would i would do like a full 12 hour set when -hmm. i was deer hunting um and my dad thought i was crazy and then so the first first year i did it i packed like protein shakes and snacks and water and i was just i was there and um, dad would come, would leave the woods to go have lunch at home and then come back. And we have this fantastic photo of our target buck. And you can see the stand that dad was sitting in behind this deer. And dad got down 15 minutes prior to walk in, walk out to go have lunch. So the deer and dad must have like walked in parallel trails. And so after he saw that picture, he decided that maybe he should be sitting out all day long. Yeah. Um, but it was yep. like that's that's my target buck, like waving at you, but you're not exactly. interested. I mean, it, it would have been a perfect shot, easy, easy shot. Um, yeah. So. yeah, I was uh, I was, I was hunting at my wife's. Um, her family's got land up near Columbia, Missouri, and I had a ladder stand up there at the time. And I remember it was cold. It was like December, so it was freezing cold, and uh, I had already ran out of hot chocolate, mm-hmm. and uh, it was probably about. I usually would stay out till 10 30 11 and then go in grab something and come back out so i was halfway down the ladder and seen something move about 100 yards down the tree line and i was hunting right on the property line facing our property and uh all i could see were antlers as far as i could see and there was literally like 12 monster bucks coming down the fence line all in a row and I just froze. I was like, what do I do? So I, I climbed back up in the stand and uh, they just kept coming and they were getting closer and closer, but they were right on the property line. So I wasn't going to shoot at them. I was just hoping they'd pop out, right? you know, in the opening. And uh, so I went back up there and that, so that was about 11 o'clock. And they bedded down as soon as I got up there, right on the fence line, which was basically trampled down. Yeah. And I was like, I can't shoot them. Surely they'll get up you know, here and move around. I mean, it was cold. And, uh, I sat there and they didn't move for five hours. <laughs> I stayed there cause I didn't want to bust them. That's when you like text the landowner. Right, say, yeah. If I have a deer that goes onto your property, can I go get it? Yeah. And it was so frustrating. And then the, I remember it was like four fifteen. One of them stood up, they all stood up and they turned around and walked back the exact route they went. They never even came. They were about 40 yards from me but it was just so close to the neighbors I couldn't tell what side they were sitting on right you know so I didn't shoot obviously and then uh, um, those deer never came out I seen them again the next day but they never came onto the property then but uh, it was just crazy it's like chance it was like one of the chances of that but it was right. so cool getting to see that I mean these deer were I mean these are all low fence deer they were easily 140 to 170 class bucks I mean they were monsters and I've never seen a I mean, if you'd call it a bachelor group, you know, that late in the season, um, it's post rut, but um, it was cool. But I got a good one up there last year, so I was happy, happy with that. But since then, and since that encounter, the next year I went back up there and built me a box blind because yeah. I was like, I'm not sitting out in the 10 degree weather all day looking. <laughs> mm-hmm. So now we got a now we got a heater in there, and the kids have. can come out and sit in there, you know, and and uh, do what do whatever so see i used to i used to be in the ladder stands and i still go in them every once in a while like dad didn't really care he just stuck me out there and said i'll see you i'll see you later yeah but ever since i had kids 
he's like, oh, wait, we're going to put windows on these. We're going to put heaters on these. Maybe we should have snacks. Maybe we should have blankets. Yeah. You know, yep. let's, let's, let's wanna, make sure. Maybe you didn't do that for me. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> no, I was just told bundle up and, you know, I have a brown fleece blanket that I would wrap around my legs as I would sit on that metal stool and just like right. yeah. snuggle my gun and <laughs> wait for something yeah. to move. Yeah, man, it's cold. I've, I've hunted up there in Missouri and it was like literally like single digits and this is no fun so but i had uh, another crazy story about turkeys is i was there also probably a couple years before that other thing and i had put a pop-up blind underneath the, the big tree down near the creek bottom and it, it had snowed that night before so i knew it was going to be pretty crunchy the next morning and uh, so i'm sitting there i was like okay am i going to be able to get back here in the morning without you know knocking everything out of the woods and right. then all of a sudden i just start hearing something coming through the trees behind me and it was over a hundred turkeys and they came in i've got it on video and they just kept walking in and they ended up roosting right above my blind and i was like oh crap right what am i gonna do now it's like i am not staying out here all night and it snowed so it was pretty bright outside so I mean, before I could even do anything, I should have just jumped out of the blind as soon as I seen him. So I ended up having to spook him. And I got out of the blind as quiet as I could. And I got about 10 steps and then one flew. And then it sounded like uh, World War Three. Oh, yeah. There <laughs> the good thing was it was bright enough. They could, they could, I'm sure, see where they were going. But, man, I busted that whole roost out. and just like right. a fluke. And nothing gets yeah. your heart going more than if you don't realize that they've already gone to roost and you're walking out at night. And yeah. you just hear the thunder take off. And yeah. Yep. Here's a 25-pound quail flying out from right. above your head. <laughs> so, y'all have uh, do y'all have quail? I mean, what, what kind of like game birds y'all have? We have grouse, there. partridge, and woodcock here. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, quail is big time down here in Texas. Quail and dove mostly, and then mm -hmm. the waterfowl stuff. So y'all get all kinds of different ducks and stuff up there. Yeah. So, I like but, eating uh, it. I haven't hunted it, but I'm a big fan of it. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a big duck hunter, but um, probably just because never really been around anybody that duck hunts a lot. So, but man, it's a bit it's a big game down here. So, mm -hmm. but um, well, what are um, what are some of the things you've got planned for this year as far as like hunting, or have you got any other big big events planned that you're going to be part of, or with with Drury? Are they working on anything big with the deer cast stuff, or um, nothing I can talk about. Yeah. <laughs> no, not really. I mean, uh, turkey season, uh, if I do get drawn for a moose permit, then I'm going to mm -hmm. go all out and try to get a grand slam, which yeah. is your turkey, your bear, your moose, and your deer all in one year. Um, so that's sort of what I'm, I'm nice. planning, hoping for. Um, yeah. But besides that, just, you know, getting out and figuring out when I need to take my vacation days. Right. And go hunting. Absolutely. So, well, cool. Well, I know we've been on here for like an hour already, but um, why don't you uh, tell everybody um, where they can find like your blog and, and keep sure. up with what you're doing and everything you got going on? Sure. So the blog is and a strong cup of coffee um, and you can subscribe so that you're getting notifications every time I post something. I am on Instagram at Woods and Coffee, which is also my Twitter handle, Woods and Coffee. And then on Facebook, it is and a strong cup of coffee. There you go. So basically the outdoors and coffee. Just look those two things yeah. up and you can find me. Yep. Awesome. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for being on today. Absolutely. So I appreciate you taking the time and uh, um, love your office decorations in the background there. So I need more so, behind me, I know. So those are my two bear skulls. Nice. It's really interesting when you hop on like a work call and I don't work, my career is not anything in the outdoors. And so suddenly people see all these dead animals behind me. Um, but that's a deer. That's the, that's a bobcat. That's a coyote. Grouse, beaver. There's a fisher. There's, that's another deer. I have a gray fox and a red fox. <laughs> And an otter. Wow. And then I, ha I have the beaver, the coyote, and the bobcat fur hanging here. 
And then I have antlers in front of me and I have my two bear rugs and a deer hide on the couch next to me. Nice. Nice. That's so, awesome. So very outdoorsy with all my yeah. outdoor books and antlers and all that good stuff. Yeah. Well, thank you for all that you do for spreading awareness about hunting and, and getting out in the outdoors and for, for women and and uh, that's awesome what you're doing um and hopefully we can work on getting you down here to texas maybe next year so so sounds good. sounds good all right well thanks for being on thank you so much yeah Thursdays with Saltwater Experience, brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts, every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern, presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.